Welcome to another episode of Take This Job and Love It, a podcast aimed at helping you walk through the various aspects of the career and job search process. Uh, my name is Brian Fernet, and I serve as Senior Associate Director in the Office of Career Strategy at Yale University. And today I'm joined by... Stephanie Wake, Common Good and Creative Careers Team. And part of our role in the office as uh, Common Good and Creative Careers Team is to... Um, Ensure that students who are interested in things like public service or creative careers are fully supported by us. So today's episode is going to focus in on public service careers. So I am thrilled to share that we are joined today by two folks in our office who were recently hired within the last year who both have extensive public service career experience. Hello and good afternoon. My name is Calvin Yu. I'm the deputy director of the CIPE, which is the Center for International Professional Experience. Hi, my name is John Park, and I'm the director of the Light Fellowship in the Office of Fellowships and Funding at the CIPE. Great. We are, we are thrilled to have both of you here today. And what we're hoping to get out of our time together is just to get kind of a feel and understanding of what your own public service uh, careers were like, the experiences that you had, the choices that you made along the way. So maybe each of you can take some time to just give us a little bit of a rundown of some of the public service positions you've held. Sure. Uh, I'll go ahead first. Um, I started kind of my first job out of college. I served as a prison guard for the North Carolina Department of Corrections. And then I worked that into becoming a police officer for the city of Atlanta. And then later on, I joined as a military officer. I was an Army engineer officer. And then I worked for the State Department as a foreign service officer. And then I was a civil servant, international civil servant within the UN system. Excellent. Great. Wow. Extensive. Extensive. Just one or two jobs that, you know, <laughs> really pay the showcase bills, here. Pay the bills. <laughs> yeah, yeah. John? Uh, I also started in college where I interned as an architectural intern at the Association for Public Art in Philadelphia. I also worked as a programming coordinator at the International House in Philadelphia, focusing on cultural and educational programs. After that, I um, served as a Peace Corps volunteer in China uh, in a small city called Kaili in Guizhou province. And then I was a foreign service officer for the State Department. Um, also, uh, it's interesting fact that Calvin and I had the same supervisor at one point at different <laughs> no points kidding. in our career. It's a small world. Indeed. Yeah. Earth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so when you all were, um, were kind of thinking about pursuing these types of positions, what were some of the key motivators? Um, I think for me, it was just a desire to do something that was important. Uh, when you're very young, it's that's something that's just so nebulous. Like, how can you think um, serving as a prison guard may fulfill that? But as you do these jobs, um, for example, what I enjoy playing basketball. And some of the most fun I've had playing basketball is in prison. Um, so these are, you know, you can think of there are many public service programs where individuals can go in and uh, play with uh, the prisoners. So just small things along the way that have made all of these work, uh, all these jobs I've done and work that I've done very, very satisfying. So part of it is um, just setting yourself up for success and getting into these things that you find very satisfying, fulfilling. Um, for me, I also, I think, have a similar motivation, but a lot of it was based on how I grew up as a first-generation low-income um, student and what I went through as a child. I 
um, had reduced lunch prices in school. Um, I got a lot of scholarships and grants from the U.S. government. Um, my, the government supported my family when um, financially they could not support themselves. And so I wanted to give back and uh, be in the position to help those who are in a similar situation. It sounds like uh, for both of you in different ways, um, we, we talk about with a lot of all of our students and the people we work with in the Office of Career Strategy, we talk about being sort of keyed into your values, interests, and skills in that the, the sort of conjoined, the sort of Venn diagram of these three entities help drive um, awareness of where one can go with a career or be aware of the skills that they have and how those skills can be used in, in, a very, in various ways. It sounds as though your respective experiences helped inform that. I'm wondering if that was anything that um, there was a consciousness to that or if it just sort of helped inform your decisions in um, less obvious ways. Was there anything like through, let's say, extracurriculars or through major selection or um, internship selection or the things we, we call very generically like professionalization experiences? How were did that inform any of your decisions as you went through this via your your uh, education? Um, for myself, again, when I was in college, uh, I thought about working for the federal government, uh, whether it be in the FBI or the CIA. And so when I went to work for the correctional system or the police department, it was with the aim of developing those skills. Um, so ultimately, I didn't work for either of those agencies. Um, but the skills that I had within the federal government continued to build upon each other. So, for example, uh, working the police department, uh, working abroad with an NGO, and then working with the State Department, um, these were all aided by, you know, the fact that I served in the military, having veterans preference and veteran status kind of helped that opportunity there. Um, so it wasn't something that was consciously like I joined the no one would join the military thinking, oh, this will give me veterans protected status. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, again, it's it's something that I certainly took advantage of as I built my resume and looked to do op- other opportunities in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, when I went into school, I would say I was one of those students who really didn't know anything uh, going in. I did not. Everything that I've learned were through my experiences. So. But here at Yale, there's CIPE and there's so many resources now. But when I was in school, um, I didn't know all the different companies. I didn't know what kinds of jobs I could do. Um, So a lot of what I learned was from, one, uh, working the part-time jobs, uh, exploring many different classes and all the peers that I've met and just uh, experiencing those things. So I've had, I think, a dozen different part-time jobs uh, when I was in universities from being a line cook at a four-star restaurant, from working um, as an IT support specialist, interning in an architecture firm, you know, RAing, and all these experiences gave me another clue into the possibility of a different path and allowed me to uh, explore. If I went in this direction, I can gain this skill, this knowledge, and move forward in this career. So I've heard collectively um, 
some of the more uh, what you might think of as like the the hot groups to work for. So State Department, FBI, CIA, you know, anything within the intelligence community. I think, you know, it's something that we hear a lot of from students who think about public service careers. They, um, you know, they might think of some nonprofit organizations or they might be um, interested in uh, becoming teachers and doing educational work. Um, But, you know, to be completely frank, we hear a lot of students talk about some of these um, you know, hot, uh, hot employers, right? These like really sure. exciting intelligence community, State Department. So, did either one of you, because um, both of you ended up in the State Department at, at one uh, at some point, um, you know, d- did you look at that and go, "Oh, wow, that would be really cool," or did you have some sense of this is the type of work that's going on here, and and this is its level of importance, and that aligns well with me. Sure. I mean, I think any job you go into, you have no idea what it's like. Um, you can do informational interviews, uh, talk with people that are working in the field, but it's impossible to know what working in the State Department or working in the military would be like. Uh, certainly, these were big commitments, and so I, I did my due diligence and spoke with as many people as I could. Uh, but getting into those agencies is, um, yeah, you know, you just work at it. So I think one question that I have for John is to just talk a little bit about what our A100 class composition was like. So A100 is the orientation class for the State Department. So in my class, I had about 100 uh, inductees into the class with me. So the Foreign Service is really interesting that I don't believe there's an educational requirement. There's only an age requirement that I think is 21. So you can – it's open to the public. Uh, You just take the Foreign Service written exam as a first step, which I encourage everyone to do. It's free. You can take it once a year. And literally you have people coming right out of undergrad. You have grad students. Um, I had some military officers that had retired after serving as foreign affairs officers, so very senior, like full-board colonels that were coming into my class. So you can imagine a range from the youngest, I think, was 22 years old, and then we had folks kind of in their late 50s in my class. Um, So again, it's a very open um, kind of career that people can go into, that people come in from all types of service. So we had lawyers, we had doctors, we had people that spent their entire lives overseas. Uh, We had people that were really never lived overseas and were going overseas for kind of the first time for a job. Wow. Um, Yeah, yeah. So I thought it was a very interesting leap. I don't know what your class was like, John. No, my class was just as diverse in its profile. And it was interesting to look at um, the motivation of why these people joined. Uh, For example, if you looked at uh, the ones who joined right out of grad school or college, they were a lot more focused on the adventure, the travel, serving their mission. And maybe if you looked at the group that joined much later in their career, they were looking for um, stability. Um, They were looking for uh, providing better support for their families. Uh, The State Department provides a lot of uh, benefits that are quite attractive. Uh, for example, you know, you get foreign travel, fully paid for housing while you're overseas. Uh, it's one of the few jobs that still provides a pension. And so um, there are different motivators for everyone who entered in the class. So this was an interesting point that you that you all brought up, which is, you know, you don't always know what um, a job is really going to entail until you're really thrown into it and you start doing it. So can you give our listeners a, a little bit of insight as to what to expect when um, working for the State Department? 
John, you've got a couple more years in the State Department than I do. Do you want to take that one? Sure. I think with any job, it's important to differentiate what you see on their website and what they're advertising uh, versus what the actual job is. So everything that the State Department puts on the website, it's the sexiest things that an officer will do. Right. <laughs> sure. The, the military is the same way. Yeah, We're not all right. running around in tanks and blowing things right, up and jumping right. on a plane. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And so um, I think one of the most important things to do is speak with people who have um, done the job. And my surprise, I think, when I was in the State Department was um, – I thought that by serving in the State Department, I would be serving more the greater good for our country. But the fact is I was mainly focusing on the needs and the the interests of the current administration, which was different from what I imagined uh, for public service in general. So that sometimes didn't – what I thought was better for the greater good did not necessarily align with – maybe what one administration's policies were. And so that was something that I somewhat struggled with at mm-hmm. times. I imagine that's the case for, for most folks who, um, who, who work at, at the federal level. They are um, perhaps uh, struggling with uh, personal preference or versus uh, the administration that's um, in position. So, um, so I kind of want to zero in a little bit on on maybe the job functional role of 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 what you did while you were in the State Department, and either one of you can take the question. Sure, there's a couple different tracks within the Foreign Service generalist. So there are obviously specialists, so the lawyers, the doctors, um, but the generalist track, which is what most people think of. So you have the political track, you have the econ track, you have a management track, you have a consular track, and then the fifth track is public diplomacy. Um, so as you apply for the Foreign Service exam, you actually – in my day, you would actually set out which track you wanted to pursue. I think today you're able to branch later on, maybe even in A100. Um, but the key is these are very specific skill sets. Um, if you think of political and econ track, we think of those as what we call reporting. So you're doing informational reporting. You're uh, collecting what's, what will be open source intelligent to inform the government. Um, and build different policies. Um, Consular track, you're taking care of American citizens. Uh, Those are also the staff that issue visas uh, for foreigners. Uh, Management, actually, John and I were both management coned officers. Uh, We work in administration. So if you think of uh, HR, finance, uh, procurement, um, general services, facilities, these are kind of the management functions. And then PD, public diplomacy, is exactly what you think of. So like Voice America, uh, aid agencies, this falls under PD. Um, so specifically, for example, in management, a t- typical project throughout the year may include uh, supporting logistics for any sort of VIP visitors, such as the president or secretary of the state. Or um, let's say that you're purchasing land for a new consulate building or negotiating leases for all the embassy housing. Um, or you're uh, preparing or coordinating um, a large event for a thousand people for the Fourth of July celebration. These are some examples. Um, all officers have to do at least one consular tour uh, in the beginning of their career, and consular work involves uh, visa interviews for immigrant, non-immigrant uh, visas, also supporting American citizen services. Uh, so, if someone needs a new passport and so forth. 
um, as well as um, maybe doing some consular outreach. And, and then the one job that I got to do a little bit was public diplomacy, where you're promoting um, U.S. policies or you're promoting um, study in the U.S., higher ed, and things like that. So it really depends on which area or skill set you want to focus on. You had uh, mentioned earlier this dichotomy of, of motivations that brings a lot of people into a position like the State Department and Foreign Service. I was wondering if you can bring us in, if, if you care to share a little bit about what prompted you to leave those positions. Is, do, do, is it that dichotomy? Do those things change? Are there other factors at play? Is that something where you go into an experience knowing that has a finality to it, or is it one of those things where you see yourself on a on a you know, multi-decade career? Sure. Um, so I would say in general, out of my A100 class, maybe a good 15, 20% have left to pursue other careers. And it's, it's, it's such a wide variety of reasons. For me personally, um, when I joined the Foreign Service, I was single. And it's a career that takes you to a different place every two or three years about. And so that's at that time in my life, it was very attractive for me. You get to live in a new place. Again, as John said, your housing is supplied for you, so you're living in very, very nice locations. You're living in an embassy district in usually the capital or a major city. Um, so it was very, very conducive to how I wanted to experience my life in the world. Um, but later on, as I uh, got married, it was you know different concerns that I had, and it was something I wanted more stability in my life. Uh, for my partner and I. And so that was one of the major reasons I left. Of course, different people at different life uh, cycles and different times in their life have different reasons. Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing is for the State Department, it has a up or out system, So, which means that uh, you keep doing the work and if you do well, you get promoted to a higher position and rank. And doesn't matter if you're really good at the job or you really like the specific job, you can't stay with it for very long. Mm -hmm. So um, some people are just better suited to focus on specialized work and may not fit going into more leadership or management or supervisory roles. And so that's what uh, some people leave the State Department for. Um, for myself personally, uh, I was very comfortable with um, – ambiguity and change uh, without a family. Mm -hmm. So if, <laughs> with it was, when I was single or with my just my wife, we felt comfortable moving every two to three years and not really knowing exactly which country we would end up. Now that we have our two-year-old son, um, it's not as comfortable. We are more worried. We hope that we can go to certain locations. And those are things that you're not able to control because once you join... <clears throat> you sign up for uh, worldwide availability. So if the service needs you in Afghanistan or Iraq, that's where you have to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the, va the value shift, we talk about, you know, values, interests, skills, and I think the one that, you know, the one factor that plays into one's life as they, as they move forward is, is the values piece. And I think a lot of people mistakenly think of that one as like the lock, like my values will never right. change. Because <laughs> right. it seems like, it seems like it somehow it's like, it's associated with a negative compromise. Yes. Right. But if you, if it's, you know. Season of life. Right. If it's Season your, of your life. family yeah. or things like that, that that's, that's positive, right? I mean, that's right. a very good thing, but it definitely has to be taken into consideration. And none of that, you know, it is our hope as, as career professionals to hope that people don't 
see that as like a negative or see that as some sort of reason not to do something, but it is some, uh, something of an inevitability as, as you just progress, you know, yeah. in, in as life. we, as we age and have different experiences right. and, um, incorporate different things into our lives, how that impacts the next decisions that we make. So in thinking about and reflecting upon your experiences um, within public service, and I realize that we spent a lot of time talking about the State Department. Thank you both so much. We have a lot of students who are really interested in that kind of work. Um, I, I can't but, talk about the CIA because then <laughs> none of you guys would make it out of the room alive, but everything else. And we do have somewhere to be. So <laughs> um, so, so I'm hoping that um, you can both share maybe a couple of pieces of advice of, of perhaps elements to think about before embarking upon a career in any kind of public service? Sure. I, I think, uh, again, like John was saying, it's it's very important to do interviews, informational interviews, or networking within the field that you're interested in. Um, so I know we talked a lot about the State Department, but in an embassy overseas, you can have you know upwards of 70 different departments, federal departments that are working out of the embassy. So you can imagine uh, USCIS, uh, Border Control, the FBI, all of these agencies are working out of embassies that are outside of the State Department. So you, uh, it's such a wide variety of opportunities that you have, um, so many choices that you, know, you should absolutely explore these. Um, and the best way to do that is about reading about them, by talking to people, and you come up with things that you never knew. So when I left the military, it was to join the State Department, but I never even knew the State Department exam existed until I had met a foreign area officer within the military. Um, so that's kind of key. Again, that's something that I'd never, that's not an industry or a career I would have imagined when I was in college. Yeah, avail yourself, right? Yeah. No. Yes, um, I second that. And I think early on when people join uh start a career in public service, they tend to focus on the value piece and the commitment to serve. But I think it's also very important to focus on the skill set piece. So just don't focus on this is what I want to do. It doesn't really matter what job I'm doing as long as I get these sort of benefits and pay. It's really important that regardless of whether you're in Rome or Tokyo doing work, the work that you're doing has to be interesting and that skill set that you have um, should be something you want to do because otherwise whether you're doing it there or you're doing it in New Haven, it doesn't really make a difference after a certain amount of time. And then also keeping in mind that the skill sets that you learn are what are going to help you to maneuver because I think most people join um, the federal government or state government uh, thinking that they're going to continue forever. And um, But that's not always the case. And if you don't focus on the skill set part, that will leave you with the feeling of being stuck because you've started a career in a skill set that you may not fully enjoy or be particularly strong at. And then because you've been doing it for a while now, it's harder to maneuver out. You had mentioned, John, earlier about the um, the sort of clash or conflict with, you know, ideologically speaking with a given administration, that's a potential dilemma for folks in this type of role. And I think it speaks for, for, you know, many roles in, in, in the government, in government, especially. Were there other aspects aside from that, that you felt were unsatisfying about that? You mentioned like this, this versatility of skill set and that the role sometimes requires you to have to move forward in sort of a, you know, regardless of, of your take on it. I was just wondering, 
Was there an, do you, would there be an aspect of that particular position when your time in the State Department that you felt was had an unsatisfying sort of demeanor to it? And what might that have been? So when I was working in the various embassies in management positions, I could see by looking at the people in front of me or my supervisors what I would be doing five, ten years from now. Right, because the upper out. Correct. Concept, yeah. right. So I realized that, okay, I'm focusing on maybe procurement and logistics now. And then in the future, I will have to manage a bigger team doing the same thing. <laughs> and then 10 years There's from no now. There's no mystery here. Yes. Yeah. You own the crystal ball. <laughs> it's very effective. So, and, you know, 10, 20 years from now, I will be my, managing a gigantic team doing the same things. And I realized the skill set that I would be expanding on wasn't the one that I really wanted to focus on. Right. And so then, does, does that make it kind of rat racy then? Yes, yeah. it does make it very um, competitive. And you have to, so the upper out system also, um, it's when you compete for jobs overseas, you, they look at your specific rank. So you do really well, you get promoted, but then you're the lowest ranking, uh, I would say the, you're the newbie in that rank. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, so when you're right. competing for jobs, then they will, of course, take the someone else who has a lot more experience. So you have to balance being good, but not too good, because if you get promoted too quickly, you'll always be not as competitive for the different jobs. This is, this is like... What a game. You open up like the de- the, the uh, dictionary with just the definition of bureaucracy there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's interesting to hear like the level of specificity around that, because I think we, you know, from the outsider perspective, if you don't have direct experience and exposure to that, you don't realize that yeah, you know, we usually talk about the rat race in other industries, mm-hmm. right? We usually talk about the rat race um, in in the the for profit sector. And it's right? usually se- like in an existential way. Yeah. Whereas this is more structural. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, right. Because it's like all of a sudden been created. you've achieved. Now get to the back of the line. <laughs> is a weird concept, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it is. I, that yeah. doesn't make it any less fulfilling, right? But it is something I imagine if you weren't aware of going in, you had to acclimate to rather quickly, right? And you basically had to pick your track, which I consider like a job major at the very beginning. Right. And if it, you didn't pick the exact one that was a good fit for you, then you're going towards something that you don't want to be doing. Right. So, so knowing this information, I'm, I'm, um, I'm channeling my inner student here who's probably, you know, our students have a lot of options when they graduate and they're thinking about um, – uh, tapping into their values and they want to, you know, do a, pursue a, a career in public service um, or they're thinking about the for-profit sector or um, the nonprofit sector. So um, both of you have, have had a variety of experiences. What can you say in, in terms of the comparison between your experiences working for um, federal government versus for-profit versus nonprofit? So I, I did a stint uh, working for corporate America in between the military and working for the State Department. And for me personally, um, I was satisfied in the job, but it didn't ultimately fulfill me. Like it didn't uh, Ooh, tickle my mean? soul. Yeah, break, break that down a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> bring um, us in. Bring so us in. to give you an example, I, I probably worked about Fifty to sixty hours a week voluntarily, so it was a salaried position. But I just really—it was really interesting the work I was doing for the for-profit. For the for-profit, okay. Um, and so, again, it was just the work was engaging. I was satisfied, but at the end of the day, there was there was something missing. Mm. Like I just felt like I was making a lot of money, but it wasn't for the public good. 
And so um, I just knew for me, again, it was a personal decision that it wasn't for me. Um, plenty, I have many friends who work in corporate America, of course, and it's for them. So I think one of the pieces is having that experience. Um, I knew that it was the right decision to go into education or whether it be public service, something in the public good. Yeah. And then you just repivot. Yeah. So, I mean, those are skill sets. Uh, the the work I did there was, you know, immensely useful to what I do now. Um, so, again, all of these skills kind of build on one another and you learn from these experiences. Uh, again, before I worked there, I never would have known that about myself. Mm-hmm. So, you know, part of life is self-discovery. Um, that was important into building my career. Um, I think the main difference for me for private and public was that in public, I'm very self-motivated to try my best and give the best product I can. But I realized that if I did that in the public sector, uh, most of the time that meant that because I was so efficient that I would get more things passed on to me. Ah, you get rewarded. <laughs> you get more rewarded more. Yeah. more. That's how you know you're good. <laughs> because, you know, everyone... Wait, I never got more work. <laughs> because everyone else, uh, there is no fear of losing your job in the public sector. If So as long as you do the minimum requirements, then you're fine. So I think what happens is that uh, people get comfortable and then, you know, eventually may just not have the motivation to do more. And so in the private sector, I feel like when you focus and um, put it in your best effort, you develop the credit which you can use to leverage, whether it's for leverage for a promotion or leverage or shift to another job or just leverage to do more of the work you want to do. However, I found that in the public sector, that structural motivation and leverage component wasn't as apparent. Hmm. Yeah, I think those are, you know, different, they require different strategic approaches, right? I mean, there's probably, there are ways to, you know, achieve through both trajectories, both paths, but it's knowing how to leverage each thing strategically, each scenario strategically as you move forward. And that, I imagine, takes a lot of time. Mm-hmm. And that may run into conflict with some of the other things that you, you've both discussed about how time can have impact in some of these roles where the structure keeps that changing. It keeps sort of like a rotation where if, you know, two years in one area and then you move, that may disrupt your strategic approach to how to move up or move, you know, move forward. Um, I imagine that um, became a hobby unto itself. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> a side game, yes. if you will. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think a lot of students that we advise now uh, get focused on the idea that their major is going to be their career. And that's absolutely not the case. Mm-hmm. Again, both of us have gone into public service, left public service, may have gone in again. Um, so again, life is so long, you have to, you know, when life gives you lemons, make limeade. <laughs> um, but there are so many things you can do, um, and you just take the skills that you have and, you know, build your portfolio, build your resume to open up opportunities and access uh, to pursue things that you do want to do. Variety is the spice of life. Just I love variety. Of culinary <laughs> bits of... Throwing it all out bits there. Bits all in here. <laughs> Well, we can't thank you enough for joining us today to talk about public service careers and your own experiences. And you've really shed a lot of light on some of the elements that our students um, ought to maybe think about and consider as they're um, working toward making decisions for themselves. So thank you, both Calvin and uh, John. Yeah, thanks a lot for coming in today. Uh, 
we really appreciate your your insight. Um, and we now know that the folks at Yale here can come find you in the uh, yeah. Center for <laughs> International Professional Experience for more depth of insight. Uh, Stephanie, is there a convenient place that you know off the top of your head for folks to look into more information about Common Good and Creative Careers? So the Common Good and Creative Careers Initiative at the Office of Career Strategy, we have um, multiple ways in which we support students. Uh, We have a robust uh, website, so make sure to check that out. We have lots of information, ideas, advice um, that we give students who are interested in working in nonprofits, educational institutions, um, working for uh, the government at all levels, and then also creative careers, including arts, entertainment, um, et cetera. So make sure you're checking us out there. And then you can follow us on all of our social media channels through the Office of Career Strategies, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I think we have it all. So make sure you're keeping abreast of the ways in which we are pulling together different events and uh, materials for our students. Excellent. Yeah. So that's ocs.yale.edu if you're looking for more information on these topics or others. Uh, Thank you very much for tuning in this time, and we'll see you next time. Take care.